Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome. This is Founders in Asia. And Excellent. We're really excited to have uh, have Julian Kwan join us today from Investor Crowd. Welcome, Jules. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, actually, Julian and I are, are old friends. We met in Shanghai many years ago. Many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. In um, what seems like a very different life now. And now have started working together again, actually, uh, down here in Singapore. So today, what we want to talk about is just, this is the inaugural episode of Founders in Asia. And right. the whole purpose of Founders in Asia is to celebrate the all the really interesting people that I meet across Asia who have come here or are from here, uh, whatever market across the region, who are just doing really exciting things in what is an incredibly vibrant and changing region and so what I want to do is just talk about people's stories and and hear about the exciting things that they're doing uh, how they've founded their businesses uh, about the the challenges they've faced and how they've overcome them and how they stay motivated and energized and uh, and yeah just yeah. hear about your story so yeah. welcome Jules. Sure. Um, so maybe if you can just give us an introduction about about uh, how I got here. Yeah. How yeah. I got here. Um, yeah, well, originally Sydney, born and raised, and and uh, half Chinese by heritage. Um, I, during my university days, uh, I used to spend three mo- the entire holidays uh, backpacking around Asia. Actually, so I did uh, uh, three months in India, and then Nepal, Thailand, Vietnam, China, um, and they were they were the best parts of my university days. Um, and then when I finished university, I decided to. Well, my dad told me that he would uh, pay for. Uh, tuition in uh, Beijing to study Chinese um, right. instead of uh, me just uh, cruising around the world <laughs> for another year. So, and it wasn't yep. a lot of money back then either. I right. think it was like five hundred dollars. This? this is two thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Right. Okay. So, yep. uh, so I thought that, that sounded like a good idea, and I'd get something out of uh, a year of uh, semi-traveling and actually learn some, some something else. And um, so, I, so I went and did that. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. That was an amazing, amazing time. So Beijing in 1999 was was uh, was a completely mm. different world than it is today. Uh, the student life days. out there was yeah, it was just amazing. Um, Did you speak any Chinese when you? Not really, right. no. Um, but you have a Chinese. The heritage speech. is Cantonese side, but oh, right, right, okay. It it uh, sort of got lost in translation a right. bit when everyone moved <laughs> to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, 60 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one of the first in the family to learn Mandarin, um, but right. in Beijing and, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, 30, 40 different friends from 40 different countries at that time. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, it was just one of the most amazing experiences. So we learned Chinese and, and it was in super old school buildings with no air conditioning and like rock hard mm. seats and like wooden tables and... Um, the Beijing accent's very, very strong, and yep. the teachers were like sort of 70, 80 years old, so it was, it was just a wild time. <laughs> and um, yeah, one of the funnest times ever, and we went out every night, and um, we'd go in competitions to see how far we could go out with 10 choir, which would last us right, know, right. all night. Um, What's that, was, like a dollar fifty? Back uh, then it was a dollar. A dollar. Actually, <laughs> at times it was 80 cents if you went to the, the money changer at the corner yep. and cut a deal with her because she, she thought you were funny. So yeah. anyway... Um, <laughs> Then I went back to Australia after that, um, after that eight months or so, and I, I kind of got bored in about a week, and I borrowed uh, 
$200 off my dad and, and got his frequent flyers and went back up to Shanghai. Yeah. Because two yep. of my friends from Beijing were there. Right. So I stayed on the, I crashed on the sofas and then woke up the next, on Monday after I'd spent my $200 on, on drinks on Maoming Lu. Yeah. And uh, went out and found a job. So I, I started in a, a startup that was um, all over the place. Right. And it was right when the, a lot of the startup world was kind of falling apart. So... Oh, so what, this is the beginning of the first it was, it was, bubble about then? Yeah, it was around then. Um, the, the startup I joined had like a new plan in every, every daily morning meeting. The whole business plan seemed to change. Right, um, right. And so when eventually they, they very quickly, they, they shut it all down and said, uh, and they kind of did the, this amazing thing and gave me like, you know, two months severance salary so I went out to, to face bar in Shanghai right and yep. uh, Charlie's bar and, yep. yeah and uh, <laughs> ended up meeting a, a, a guy that I sort of co-founded a business with and we started that the next day after that I had another job um, that was Shanghai and the speed of things then so I moved and I started this uh, we, we, we started working in this alternative media company right. called mailman which is has gone on to be very successful yes um, it's representing all of the NFL English yeah. Premier League, all the, the big- major sports teams who want social media presence in China because you can't use Facebook and Twitter. Mm. So, mm. Um, so that's going strong. So that was the first business, and I stayed doing that for about six years, and then I exited that, and I wanted to get back into real estate development, which was what I kind of studied at university, um, and uh, went out and uh, ran around Shanghai uh, putting together a couple of projects. Right. So we did right. some co-working space way before WeWork was cool um, or anyone knew co-working was a word. Um, yeah. We renovated old factories and we made it. We made some loft office space and then we did a boutique hotel. Right. Um, yep. So that was an amazing, amazing project. It was, we renovated a, the first, one of the first prosthetics factories in Shanghai that, it, that wasn't allowed to be a factory anymore because it was downtown. And then we, we then it turned into a, a, a it turned into a post office and then we turned it into a boutique hotel. Right, right. So and that, that was the urban That was urban hotel, hotel yeah. It was yeah. the first carbon neutral hotel yeah. in China. We used and all the... It was a beautiful hotel as well. Yeah, yeah. thanks. It was, yeah. We used all the, uh, the materials that were being um, out of all the houses being knocked down right. to develop all the high rises. So there's all this amazing timber and bricks and all these things that were just going into the rubbish. So we, yeah. we started using all them and... Uh, effectively, the price of all that stuff went up about ten times after the hotel right, was open yep. because people thought, "Hey, this is actually really nice stuff and much yeah, better right. than new stuff." So we, we changed and the price of that 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 material, I think, or we helped change the price of it. Yeah, right. That's interesting. And so that project, did you have a local partner that you were working with? Um, what was who was the team? Who yeah, you, no, like just I found the building, and then it mm-hmm. was a state-owned enterprise that was that was um, again because of the structure in there that they had to they banned factories from the city. So you mm-hmm. had these buildings that were zoned factory, uh, industrial, but they weren't allowed to be industrial. Right. So, so we basically took over this building and then took the risk and went to the business bureau and said, hey, can we get a, a hotel license for this building? Because you know, otherwise it's not allowed to be this and if it can't be anything else, then mm-hmm. it's this building site yep. sitting there. So. So we, we took that plunge and we, we eventually went through that and I raised money from actually a very big, successful American entrepreneur who made all his money um, launching TV shopping networks in Japan. Right, right. Who came to China and met us and met me and we just loved the project. So, right, right. Um, so that was your first uh, injection of external funds, was it? Um, each project we'd done before had its own investor group, but right, for the yep. hotel it was just sort of him and, yeah, him and yep. me and my, my operating partner. So... Um, yeah, we went and built this hotel and it was an amazing, crazy project. And yeah. then um, 
then we opened and it was right around the time of the Olympics in China and yeah, there was a right. big crackdown yeah. online on who could stay and and we had all these bookings and we weren't allowed to take them so it was a huge China story and then any real estate project in China comes with all of these yeah. conditions and and basically government bureaus who stand in the way of issuing their approvals until certain things are done that right. that are very expensive so anyway we went through that process and eventually opened and it, yeah. it was a huge great PR campaign and we tried to really push sustainability and carbon mm. neutrality mm. and and um yeah so that was a wild ride um we, we actually ended up, ended up signing a couple of other deals with some of the biggest developers in china yeah um but uh so that went on for a couple of years and then we expanded and looked at doing some projects in southeast asia so some some projects in sri lanka and indonesia um really is a balance to the craziness of shanghai and the big city and the pollution and all of the, the yep. headaches so we sort of went yep. to the islands they have their own challenges, right. um, very, very different challenges, but they certainly have their own ways of doing things. So did you, did you actually move uh, permanently or you were sort of moving? Um, well, actually, we, we made, I made talking about sort of challenges. We, we saw, the, uh, we saw the, the big push on, well, one of the plays that we made uh, that I've decided to make was also just going into Sri Lanka after the war ended. So that was... Right, that was, right, uh, okay very very long war of zero development during that period um, yep. beautiful island beautiful landscape we thought it might be the next bali mm. Um, mm. it has been because of the government and and structural issues there it certainly hasn't become that yet yeah or it's becoming that at a very 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 slow pace and it seems that everyone on my facebook feed at the moment is uh, everyone loves sri lanka, sri lanka. Oh, it's an amazing place yeah it's an amazing place to travel um yeah. doing business there is, is is quite challenging there's a there's some kind of island mentality um, right right but what, what uh, do you mean by that um you know the a lot of the business people there have misguided value perceptions. Mm. So there's a lot of places around the world you can put your money. Yeah. Um, in different industries, in real estate, there's a lot of real estate around the world. So if you don't make it friendly and inviting and accommodating for foreign investors, then they're not going to come. Yeah. So the last government uh, didn't do that. And, uh, yeah, just just thinks that everyone should turn up to mm. drop money on them and it's mm. the best place in the world and yep. it's our way or the highway and then most people are on the highway. So yeah, it's, right. uh, yep. anyway, they've got a long way to go before they, they truly get so, internationalised. So it's interesting actually then if you think about where you started your your entrepreneurial journey, you've actually picked two of the hardest markets yeah, that you can yeah, operate think, in effectively. Yeah, I, I'm clearly not that smart. <laughs> um, you know, there's... The, the challenges, the opportunities were the challenge as well. I mean, yeah, the, yep. the, the reality is that the world is moving so quickly and, and through technology and globalization mm. that, you know, they, I didn't need to go so far to find those opportunities and, and often in the developed markets mm. just because of the surge of capital and globalization that developed markets have done very, very well as well. So yep. Yep. Um, I don't feel like we got paid for those those risks. Um, right. We didn't, in a monetary sense, we certainly right. had a, a much more interesting adventure. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt. And that's the same for China. The China business is incredibly difficult. And, and you know, I used to run the entrepreneur, I used to be uh, president of the entrepreneur organization there. Oh, so I right, saw, right, okay. I knew 60 businesses very, very well. Yeah. Um, and all yeah. the founders and all the ups and downs. And yeah. there's a very small percentage of foreign entrepreneurs actually making any money in China. Yes. Um, yeah. And most yeah. of the guys doing well, where I've either been there for 25 years mm, um, mm. or they're exporting 
so mm. they're, they're still able to play the arbitrage on the production and the sales price and yeah. they're getting paid from their western supply uh, clients mm. and in mm. china getting paid is often yeah. very very challenging yeah. doing the work is one part and getting paid is probably harder than actually doing the work yeah so yeah. um yeah. yeah look so that was that okay and then so so that's interesting so china first then looking at sri lanka southeast asia and in southeast bali as well and indonesia right. yeah. um, and then how did you end up in singapore um so we we decided i decided that um you know real estate investment development is highly localized mm. uh, development even more so i mean you always need sophisticated experienced partners on the ground where mm. you're doing things so mm. i thought that like rolling out a development business around the world is 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 not going to not going to be the best place to play mm-hmm. um however connected to that was many years trying to work out what the best technology play for real estate mm. investment mm. was so that was mm. that was more important and then when i decided that that we'd get into this space and, and make a full press into this um china was not going to be the place for that right um because there's no foreign there's very few foreign uh, entrepreneurs that are doing well in China, but there's very, very few tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even the best guys in the non-China world haven't aren't allowed in. Mm. So mm. that wasn't going to be the place. But more importantly, the model of investing requires strong regulations or people get cheated and they lose their business. So we mm. looked around to Asia and went, where's the best place to, to start a prop tech business? Yeah. Where? Uh, Singapore. Mm. After all of that, and really just Singapore, Hong Kong, or maybe Japan, but Japan's very Japanese centric. So in, in terms of regulation reg- support mm. and English language speaking, mm. and and a positive business climate, and mm. um, very little corruption or extortion, yeah. and all the things yeah. that a lot of the rest of Asia doesn't have. Right. Um, yeah. And we still yeah. thought we still believe like you and why we're on the podcast yeah. the opportunities in asia are massive there's still so far to go yeah everything's still very new and then we looked at it from our perspective and said we want to be in asia where the capital is because the mm. deals mm. we invest all over the world but you know where the money is is more important than where the deals are because the deals are where the deals are you know and yeah. you can go and find that out and you can do due diligence and you can invest into it and then that's just it you know? okay so that's really interesting then if we're thinking about then you know lessons for other people wanting to start their own business and, yep. or looking at uh, where they should be setting up, thinking about where the funding comes from yep. is then critical. Yeah, it is. And I mean... Um, or investment, I should say, not just funding. Yeah, investment. But we, we have a our specific model started with Singapore and Hong Kong are mm. two of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. So yep. most people are priced out or you need huge money to play. Mm. So the only way to... to de- and the returns of generally have been fairly low um, mm-hmm. recently. Um, and in the rest of Southeast Asia, you've got a lot of land, yep. but the rules are very unclear. And mm. You can get into deals and you might never get out of them or the, right, the government might change their rules and do something really silly and then the whole market's dead for five years. Yep. Um, yep. So we took that bite said, said, this makes the most sense for us, but mm. we're going to build a big Asian capital base, but we're going to have a very global perspective on where we're investing, key global gateway markets, deep real estate markets, clear rules, um, due diligence as possible, mm, mm, <laughs> Australia, mm. US, UK, um, yep. and eventually Singapore and Hong Kong. So that, that's been our thesis. Yeah. Um, so maybe actually Asia. if you can just tell us a little bit about the current business that you're... Yeah, so Investor, Crowd, so Investor Crowd is not a real estate development company. It's mm-hmm. a real estate financing company. Um, we take our knowledge from development and investment and legal, um, and we, we build a tech platform where global investors can access high quality commercial real estate investments with that are quite sized with mm. smaller investment minimums and diversify across regions and asset types and 
the different parts of the capital structure for a particular deal. Mm. So you can invest in debt, you can invest in equity, you can invest in residential, commercial, industrial, student housing. It was really meant to be a diversification tool. Um, kind of has some DNA of the wealth management world, at, at least for, mm. for our investors, where there's a platform and there's different things you can choose and you yep. can and it's direct in each one and you can see the reports and the dashboards. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was sort of built originally of, of a desire of my own, like, hey, I, I, I want to invest in these markets. I don't want to go and buy a house every, or a building every time. Mm. Uh, if you have the money, great. You still need huge amounts of time. You need bank loans you need i mean mm. there's huge competition to acquire assets these days so there's there's just a pile of problems re- related to investing in real estate these days mm-hmm. um so we said well we be that we can build this great solution we find these real estate companies they're mm. managing the projects there's very finite timelines on these and you can be an investor in a global perspective um without leaving your laptop mm. and mm get the returns that the commercial real estate gets with the right types of companies. Right. And that's that's our value proposition. And so what it allows uh, companies or individuals to be able to enter into an investment in real estate as a as a fractionalized investment. So as an example, we we we've had projects where fifty thousand, twenty five thousand dollar investors yep. can be in a seventy five million dollar commercial development. Mm. So typically that's never been possible before. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the technology brings that, um, yeah. our relationships bring that. And that's sort of the 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 first major solution that we've been attacking, which is right. access. Yeah. How do you access projects? How do you do it without yeah. incredible amounts of money? We do have very wealthy investors on the platform, mm. but the 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 target is to um, to really reach the sort of mass affluent, mm. Um, mm. and then being able to do it all with technology, so people are comfortable and yep. there's transparency and there's trust and there's confidence, mm. and then you know there's repeatability and then scalability. Okay, great. And so let's talk about the technology yep. itself then. So have you developed that here in Singapore? Yeah, we have. Yeah. We have, and and um, it's really been the first phase. So mm. the first phase was the crowdfunding model mm-hmm. um, real estate is an industry that's plagued with with clunkiness and lumpiness and and um, mm-hmm. it's piles of paperwork and so we, we've been attacking that problem mm-hmm. with some success um, most more excitingly and what we've been working on mm-hmm. is our expansion plans into adapting sort of the blockchain technology to yeah. to our business model and industry and and we think the biggest opportunity there is that what we see happening now is is we, we see that there'll be a a movement of real estate investment projects onto the blockchain mm-hmm. and predominantly mm-hmm. at a simplistic level the shareholdings into the smart contracts instead of the old paper contracts. And what does that really mean? It means the project remains the same. There's still a great real estate company. There's still due diligence. There's still all these things. But investors then get to own uh, tokens and smart contract shareholdings, which in the right environments can then be traded. So you then have an ability to create liquidity. And that's been mm, one of the mm. biggest problems with real estate investment is you're in a deal and then you're stuck there for five years. Yeah, yeah. So, so this liquidity problem is something that InvestorCrowd is solving now. That's right. And looks to continue that's to- That's right. Well, so what, what we're looking at doing is bringing more and more projects yep. um, into blockchain shareholding is mm. probably the best way I can explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still only half of the problem solved mm. um, because real liquidity only comes if you can sell that to someone else. Yep. Now, the biggest issue in re- private equity real estate is that any real estate company who raises money for a project um, has zero incentive to, mm. to mm. liquidate your position once you're in a deal because mm. they're busy building the project. And that wasn't the offer in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, if we get those same projects, which are 98, 99% of the world's real estate is not publicly listed, Mm -hmm. so it's all private deals, Mm -hmm. um, that's the target focus for us. And in that market, if we can then bring more and more projects into these smart contract shareholdings, Mm -hmm. um, we then go and build a real estate uh, digital real estate token exchange yep. where all yep. of these uh, token shareholdings can be traded. They mm. can be bought and sold. So this idea is probably the biggest innovation, we think is the biggest innovation in the real estate investment industry since you know REITs were invented 60 years ago. Right, REITs There's being... Real estate investment trusts, yes. um, yep. typically publicly listed. There are private REITs, but right. the, the, yep. the main ones, the, the, the original ones were publicly listed. Mm. They, were, they were investments... Um, that gave you liquidity as an investor because you can actually buy and sell them, mm-hmm. but the returns are suppressed. They might be typically three, four, five, six percent mm-hmm. um, because of the, the the cost of setting them up and the cost of managing them. Mm. A REIT typically invests in a a portfolio of commercial right. income producing assets. Yeah. So. Um, and, and, and in relation to private real estate deals, mm. the returns are typically 7 8% and up to, right. and just keep yeah. going up. So okay, great. Right. So it's, so Investor Crowd has started with one idea in mind and is now building on that. Correct. I just want to talk a little bit about uh, how you, how you developed this idea in the first place. What was the inspiration for starting the business to begin with? Investor Crowd? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, the real inspiration was like, I've been raising money from investors for my own developments and mm-hmm. I've been investing in other friends' developments. So mm-hmm. I could see the pain points, always having to raise money and it's old school and there's 500 coffees mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. from a developer's perspective and from an investor perspective, like I'm only going to invest into deals that I know the people and I trust them and, mm-hmm. and they're friends mm-hmm. of mine per se, mm-hmm. um, even if they're not friends, I've met them. Both of those are very, very manual, cost. old school ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought, all right, well, we build that platform that solves both of those problems. Yeah. If yeah. you can raise the funds um, in a transparent, fast, digital way, and you can then developers are going to love this. Yeah. And if you're an investor, if you can see all these different deals, and therefore you can then start mm. to see all these different deals and see all the different rating systems. And mm. typically it's just deal by deal. And yeah. someone gives you a deal and they say, here's a deal, it's great. Um, here's my information. Well, well they're obviously selling their project so that's what you see they don't have time or the energy to give you relativity to everything else that's going on in that marketplace different asset classes different costs of debt different costs of equity so we become kind of the parameter if you will of of all these different products and Mm. people don't realize that yet but Mm. they're starting to get more of that okay Um, so you've come up with this idea you've identified a problem there's a a problem in market uh, and you've developed an idea for a solution how do you then how did you transition from idea to actually making this happen (laughs) yeah um just bit the bullet really and said um when we started this there wasn't any clear legislation around crowdfunding we just thought there would be that's here in singapore Singapore, yeah and and around the world at that time three Mm -hmm. four years ago that there was still people trying to get it together um so there was a risk there mm-hmm. that uh, you start this business, don't know what the regulations mm. are. My belief was always it's legitimate. We're trying to be more transparent. We're trying to help the regulators because we're trying to show everything. Private equity, real estate, private, behind mm. closed doors. Mm. Like no one knows anything. It's all secret. Mm. So we're like, we're being more transparent. We're going to give you everything you want to see because yep. we're trying to show that to the investors. So there was this weird period where I was like, what? This is everything that, that they kind of want. Like, why is it taking so long to get a license? Right. Like, and eventually, you know, they, I guess oh, they agree. 
Right. There were no crowdfunding rules. Yeah. So they had to develop them. It's really so interesting, actually, because when you talk about this, I can see there yeah. are direct parallels yeah. for the ICO. That's right. Exactly for the ICO work. Yeah. Exactly. As well. Exactly. Even for our current projects. It's a new so space. It's a new the space. Regulations haven't been. That's right. Formed as yet. Yeah, yeah, and and the original thinking, which is which is right and wrong when something new happens, is look at all the scammers. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but what about all the good companies? Like, if there's this great new technology, a great new system, and there's a legitimate way to do these things. So it's yep. in, in terms of the ICO and all of that, you mm. can see now regulators stepping up to the plate and stating mm. obvious things and also, you know, obviously trying to make it more legitimate for investors. Yep. Um, yep. But there has to be some kind of balanced environment, which I think Singapore's got an amazing balance of, mm. sort of letting the innovation roll mm. Mm. until, you know, obviously they don't want anyone to do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, but then you start to see a dramatic improvement in the quality of the projects yeah, because people yeah. are actually like us and like what yeah, you're working on, yeah. trying to do something that's massive and amazing and, and game changing yeah. and yeah. and uses the best of the new technology but wipes out all the craziness and the, the, the bad things that it's, we've seen. It's, it's fascinating though, isn't it? Because there is, I think, a huge sense of belief that you have to have that, that this is Absolutely. that this is going to work out you know you talked about it, it was only three or four years ago that you were yep. looking at this crowd crowd uh, funded yep. uh, approach to real estate yep. and there were no regulations at that time I mean three or four years ago sounds like a lifetime it does now that. yeah <laughs> absolutely so starting off you've just got to have that 150% conviction because mm. most people are going to tell you not to do it or it's dumb or it's stupid or right. I'm not going to give you money or come back <laughs> come back when it's working or whatever it is so right, yep. without that there's no point to start anything and I think that yeah, all my businesses to date have always been like kind of macro driven in terms of what I think is going to happen mm. I've often been too early so that's one of my greatest right. concerns with our real estate token exchange that we're too early that's actually my number one concern personally yeah, yeah is right. that we're too early yeah yeah um, which is the startup founders dilemma it you is know? it's you come up with an idea if it's if it's too early then you know maybe the market just isn't ready for it well, yet. So or if you, you know, exactly, it's one of the dilemmas. Um, yeah. I, I, I've had this same question every time when I went into China in 1999, yeah. when I went into Sri Lanka straight after yeah. the war, actually mm -hmm. there before the war, we were mm. investing before the war finishes. Mm -hmm. The one thing that gives me balance or comfort to that too early statement for this current business mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. adding the token the exchange and the blockchain is that yeah. nothing's ever moved as fast as this. Yes. And yeah. it's, and it is, it is a bet that the speed of this industry yeah. and the players around it and the ecosystem and the mindset will without a doubt adapt faster than anything that's ever adapted before. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. so my are we too early probably is also the catch up will be faster than ever. Mm. See, typically when I was too early in real estate deals, if mm. you're too early in a real estate deal, you gotta wait years for the market to catch up with you. Yeah. As you know, yeah. a day in blockchain is a year. Yes. So I, I have great comfort when I think, geez, we're so out here, we're, we're, yeah. this is, this is, this is way at the I, forefront. I'm like, yeah, but. I think, you're, I think you're right because the thing is, from what I've seen, just working in this blockchain space for a limited amount hyper of time. Speed. That hyper if, speed. Yeah, it is hyperspeed. Yeah. And actually, if you don't operate at speed, yeah. you will be left yeah. behind. And, and with that speed comes adaption and with the adaption becomes the transparency and mm. with that becomes a lot more positive outlook on the industry versus Mm. whatever the negativity was and yep. I think 
It's a great analogy to look at the internet because, you know, the big blockchain proponents are like, yeah, internet mm. 3.0, 2.0, but it's like, if mm. you think about that, it's a great test case for things have started. Um, it, it, there's always amazingly great and amazingly bad things at the beginning. Mm. And then out of it comes, you know, the companies that we all live off now, you know, that dominate the industry. The, they're almost too dominant. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, look, it's a fascinating space. It's, I think we really, really have an opportunity to completely change the real estate investment landscape in our industry. Mm. The crowdfunding is just a small dent, but I think this is a big dent. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, because the so, crowdfunding still pre-blockchain was still operating in the same problem industry that mm. existed because it was very expensive to set up things. Mm. No one wants small investors. Cross borders should become cheaper, but it's become more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the DNA of the industry hadn't changed. Mm. Whereas mm. with this implementation and the plans we're working on, the DNA of the industry doesn't have to change so much. So you know? this is interesting then. I want to ask you because I know that the intention uh, for the... ICTX, which is the, the token investor crowd token, investor yep. crowd token uh, that you're building out, it's it's an extension of the existing investor crowd business. Yes. Do you see this as a pivot away from what you're doing, or it, it is building? And yeah. how do you how do you make that decision as a as yeah? A it's a great question. Founder? It's a great question. Um, it's definitely an expansion, mm-hmm. and with the expansion is a delicate task we have to manage that message. Many real estate investors don't want anything to do with blockchain, don't know anything about it. Better put, they don't know anything about it. Mm. And if they don't know anything about it, they're certainly not going to start using it or use anything that they think is associated with it. So we have to make sure that we keep one foot in the old world and keep our current real estate business going as it is. Mm. But we add the ability to invest into projects via smart contracts and blockchain Mm. for all of those that, that want to do it. And look, if we fast forward 40 years or 30 years or 20, who knows? there will be no more old shareholdings. There won't be people handing out paper anymore because people just mm-hmm. won't need it or they won't yeah. accept it. So it's it goes back to the where are we in this cycle? Like well, it's not a cycle even, it's where are we in the progress here? I think that um, we have to make sure that we, we speak the same language to the old world and, yeah. and we yeah. do a very good job of bringing this in mm. as an addition, as a value extension, where a lot of the industry still remains the same, as I said. You still mm. need great companies. The real estate is still the dirt and the building where it is. No matter what blockchain does, the building is still the building. So all of the and, – and good structuring and good legal and all, all that stuff still has to remain. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really meant to be – here's a great – here's a, a much better way to issue shareholdings in your buildings – uh, and your properties mm. and to go global on fundraising mm. and to be able to bring liquidity to you and to the investors. So there's absolutely no downside. It's actually a big value add. And that, that to me is really important because if people think you're coming in and eating their lunch, then they're not yeah. going to yeah. want to be sure. part of it. So yeah. it's... Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask then, as a, so you're the CEO of the, of the business. Yes. Uh, as the CEO, how do you then balance out your team in terms of where their focus is right. on the existing business versus the new business. Yeah, yeah. How do you provide that guidance and where do you decide to spend? Yeah, time? look, it's, it's a startup in the startup um, for sure. Yeah, right. And <laughs> uh, we, we actually try right. to do our morning call around the current business mm-hmm. and then we go around and then we talk about the ICO and the blockchain and the new business. So that's the, that's the clearest separation we have in the morning. And then right. throughout the day, look, it's, it's, a, it's a total crossover. So everyone's wearing a bunch of different hats. Um, right. Yeah. 
we've been doing the old business for a while and 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 the funny thing is that because it's real estate and it's still pretty lumpy and clunky um it's not 24 hours a day seven days a week right it, it doesn't move that quickly. it doesn't move that so quickly it's manageable, yeah it's manageable it? right. i mean the yeah. blockchain stuff is 24 hours and seven days a week so yeah. it's um it's really interesting to see those two speeds where you've got something to do on the blockchain side of the business 24 hours a day yeah. and in real estate launching deals and finding deals and due, due mm. diligence there's mm. just certain processes you have so to go that's, through that's really interesting to me because then thinking about the human element of it and the the talent that you have in the business yep. it it sounds like the the approach or the the way in which they work it would be required to be very, very different. It is. You and know, working in a real estate world which doesn't <laughs> yeah. move very quickly yeah, yeah. to the ICO world, which is quite frankly mayhem on yep. a lot of days. It is, yeah. So well, I think it's a good point. I mean, we've even our own team, starting with me and then my founder, Alice, and you've got to go... You, you go on a journey when you enter the blockchain ICO space. Like mm. it's a journey for an, entering into, you know, the whole cryptocurrency and everything. How do you use it? How do you set it up? What's mm. it worth? Mm. What are people doing? There's a million different questions. So it's been a journey for all the team members to actually jump on board. And then a lot of them were negative at the beginning and they're negative because they just didn't understand. And once they've started to understand, they've become like more pro than I am. And I'm very pro the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. yeah you can see the journey and that's the journey that we have to take for everybody. Like yeah. you can't just snap your fingers and then, I mean, we yeah. can talk to people now, global investors who are all over it, invested massive, massive mm. like diversity and they have never even heard of this stuff. Mm. So it's, it's still very, very early days. And I think probably because, you know, I, I know I know the investor crowd business and what it stands for. I think, you know, from my perspective, what I can see is that the, the projects are the, the crowdfunding existing business and the new ICO business while moving at different speeds. The vision is aligned. That's right. So that's probably yeah. the, the yeah. Well, that, that's what we're trying. Really, but. exactly. We're trying to keep the same DNA of, of the quality, the, the the transparency, the the, the care factor. Yeah. Um, of making sure everything works. Um, and I mean, I think that's the new wave of ICOs. Anyway, it's mm. like companies that that are uh, run by people who have a business. I mean, a lot of the ICOs that have gone sideways because the guys in the teams didn't know anything about the industry they were in. Maybe it was their first thing they've ever done. They've mm. been given more money than any entrepreneur in the history of the world's been given for having nothing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. of course, there's some craziness there. Um, we think there's a huge opportunity uh, because of the uh, the actual value proposition of this technology where very, very big, strong, branded real estate companies are going to mm. come to the table. They're starting now. Mm. Um, there's a $400 million New York hotel that's tokenizing right, uh, a right. third of the equity. Yep. Um, SEC compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, as again, like at the, the, the ICOs will start to move into both the utility and payment versions as well as the security asset versions. And the right. security asset versions is just a much better way to have a shareholding of a project yeah, and a much better yeah. way to raise money. So this is interesting then because then the the old world, you know, you sort yep. of talk about the old world real estate yep. companies, developers. How are they moving into this? I Slowly. And, Slowly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we, we are going to develop we call it the, the Investor Crowd Blockchain Labs or Think Tank. And it's sort of bringing in key industry players who I won't name right now mm-hmm. at the table. Research, data analytics, real estate listing portals, real estate developers, private equity firms. Mm. The technology solutions that we're starting to build require the input from the industry. And what do people want? What do people need? Mm. And what are people going to use? Mm. So it's 
It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. We have a couple of really key CEOs of, of, of global real estate companies on board, but they've only been able to get on board in an individual advisory capacity because the company is going to take too long to... The company's still trying to understand this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's great. It's, you've got guys at the forefront leading the companies who want to join and bring their big businesses, but, but because it's so early days, some of those big businesses just aren't there yet. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of ideas um, that need to be talked through. But the fundamentals of this are just so obvious that I'm going to push the whole company into this space. Right. Yeah. yeah. So to me, I, they're obvious. And like, let's hope that we're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about some of the the challenges uh, in, just in terms of you know, being a business founder, yep. now working in an area that is moving at a, an extremely fast pace. Yep. How do you manage that from a health, health perspective, perspective and just managing well, your time? Yeah, and, it's, a good, it's a good question. I think originally it was also about the energy levels and I think that's mm. the number one challenge of running businesses is making sure your energy levels, right? Especially when things aren't going to plan, yep. you know, because it, it does, it drains you. Um, for me, this whole movement now is actually kind of the most ex- interesting work I feel like I've ever done. Every business I start up always feels like it's the most interesting work. But, right, so, yeah. so this one, but this one more magnitude, magnified, I think. Yeah. Um, how, how I kind of perceive it is that, you know, when you, when, you, when you go and do something, you take all this huge risk on board. If you love what you're doing and you think it's really exciting and you do believe it is the future, then it's okay. Mm. So whatever the result is, there's one result that's most important to me, which is we're not we're not wondering what happened because we did it. You know, we don't have to wonder. Yeah. You know, if it went great, great. If it went yeah. terrible, yeah. at least we know it went terrible. But at so, least you've tried. At least you tried it. Yeah. So yeah. that also comes with a balance of you've got to have enough money to stay in the game. Yeah. You know, you've got to have yeah. stuff going on because you can't live the dream with nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and everything costs much more money than you want. Everything's much more complicated. Everything takes too long and blah, blah, blah. Besides, and it takes longer for it always takes longer pay, and all that. But, but we, yeah, yeah. we thought we'd get a license you know, two years ago. So, you this know. is your MAS license. Yeah. So, the, like, that's yeah. that was the bet that uh, Alice was more right on. She's like, but well, there's no licenses yet. There's no support. And I was like, it'll get there. We'll get it. It'll be fine. We'll get it in 12 months, right. you know, 36 yeah. months later. So, um, so yeah. So, for me, it's always about, like, if you've, if you've got the conviction and, and some kind of reality check yeah. um, and a little bit of cash, that's all you need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, I think this, this is... This is an area that's going to, you know, the, 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 the pennies will drop and the good mm. guys will come to the surface and the bad guys will drop out. But, yeah, I think that um, I'm so excited about it that I'm just, like, full court press into the space. Yeah. And I right. think that even yeah. from our business model, eventually there will be no old model. There will only be the new model. That mm. might be 10 years or it might mm. be 20 years or it might be next year. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Uh, if we're going to position ourselves at the very forefront of prop tech innovation and yeah. we're not one of the drivers of this, then, mm. you know, what are we doing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think just going back to your point, I think about the, you know, where your energy levels come from and just yep. you, I think, you know, and I've certainly gone through this experience as well as a, as a business founder, yep. you know, I, I love what I do. And so I'm, you know, I wake up every morning, I'm excited about what I do. I cannot imagine starting a business where I did it because I thought there was an opportunity, but it wasn't necessarily something I was passionate right. about. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that's where, you yeah, know, yeah. for me, the energy comes from. It sounds like it's quite similar for you. Uh, this is a space that you are excited about and you believe in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, the, the monetary results are unknown. Mm. So um, 
that that's going to be the case with anything. Yeah. I think the the uh, are you doing something that you really want to do? Well, that can be known. I mean, you're you're either going to do mm. it or you're not going to do yeah. it. So yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, that's I, a good point. I think yeah. that the, also, I guess one of the biggest challenges these days, everything's become just as much as it's sort of become easier more easier than ever to start something mm. it's become more expensive than ever to run it forward yeah competition yeah. um yeah. so it's 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 a double-edged sword yeah you know? that's true actually um, the, the uh the barriers to starting have come down with the barriers to survival have gone but it means that more yeah. people can get into the space yeah. and uh and yeah be tougher to absolutely continue. yeah and i think in asia one of the key issues for founders is is on uh, that i think is twofold one is raising money from traditional sources is much harder than in the west right um there's much less support um right. because a lot of the vcs want to play um bet on the next unicorn but i'm only coming in in a series d round right when everything's sorted and of course series d round is far away from where everyone is when they start a startup right yeah so that's one of the biggest issues so that's interesting do you see that evolving at all has that changed um do you see that situation changing over the last couple of years yeah i i think that asia in general I had a chat the other day with the vc mate like mm-hmm. everyone in the industry is hoping for some more big winners mm. because a lot of the early vcs they need to show some big winners to go and justify a second round fund and a third round right. fund and all this other stuff. So yeah. so I think that the area is aligned on trying to get mm. some big guns to pop out the top so then more money will come to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then you have a different landscape now. You have a, you have a landscape that's, that seems to be a lot more a lot more of Alibaba coming in and buying someone yes. and Amazon buying someone. So the M&A exit seems to be a lot more probable for startups these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just as one observation. There's a lot of Chinese investment coming down here. So Chinese, big Chinese companies coming down and yeah, so, buying, so, particularly in Southeast Asia, a lot of the yeah, so that's, players. Yeah, so that's sort of one of the... And I, so that's one of the challenges for founders. And I think the other challenge is, is that Asian companies don't support startups like Western companies do. And what I mean by that is a, a, a big Western company might see a startup and go and buy it and give the guys a good payment for their value and maybe want to employ them. Mm. Um, I think CBRE bought this company called Flawed, which was a, a 3D animation uh, visual right. virtual reality yep. company. And, and he put him on as the head of innovation for CBRE US, right? right. In Asia... They're just gonna go and oh we can do that it's easy we'll do it ourselves. Ninety nine percent of the time they're gonna screw it up. Right. So they right. won't come and buy. They will build and often not do it anyway. Right. So that's sort of the mentality. Or there's a culture of buying out but not keeping the founders on. Yeah, the buying so, out culture right. not so much. Right. You know, it's really right. like okay. we can do this and that's that's right. that's that's the challenge because as the tech world gets more sort of monogam- becomes more monopolized if yeah, you will yeah. then it just becomes more of yeah. the same the big guys yeah. only and they'll start like Amazon and now Amazon's going to start yeah. P2P lending and they're going to mm. start this and they're going to start that I mean that's yeah. not even Western or Asian issues it's just big gun problem where they're coming into everything you know mm. so um, I just have a question in your view in so your space property technology yeah. where do you think the most interesting markets are in Asia for this um well, it's a good question. I think um, you've got a very binary situation. You've got very, very clear, developed, structured places like Hong Kong and Singapore, and then you have the opposite in Vietnam and the opposite in Indonesia and the opposite in India. So mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know the exact answer to that. I think it's a matter of what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the prop tech that's happening isn't re- isn't related to investment. Right. Um, it's related to uh, the smart buildings and the energy right. consumption right. and the, the actual hardware in a building mm-hmm. and, you know, steel that's whatever materials that are much cheaper or much more efficient or much lighter or prefabrication building versus right, like right. so it's it's more in the hardware um, so what internet of things kind of connected sensors and a bit of that as well right, um, yep. it's also because okay. of the diversity in the different places it's it's hard to pinpoint a particular theme so yep, I guess right. you know that's why the US startups are always the most valuable because they've got mm. this massive country where Things yep. are kind of the same, and you yeah, can run right. out of business model. And yeah. generally speaking, it's a really good mistakes. point. Actually, it's definitely yeah. one of the challenges that we see. You know, that, but in my experience, working with a number of different clients across the region, yeah. is that you know sometimes the uh, Asia is you know, like seventeen different countries or whatever. Exactly. It's not like and one I think thing. people forget that, and yeah, particularly yeah. you know some clients from some of the Western yeah. markets, they'll yeah. they'll come here thinking, oh well, we can treat every yeah. market in Southeast Asia, for instance, the yeah. same. When in fact, they're all completely different, That's right. different levels. And that's a messaging challenge and it's a team challenge and, Mm. you know, um, yeah, there's no magic bullet there. Everyone's got to go work it out for themselves, you know, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. So then just in in terms of uh, any tips, I guess, for founders who are looking to make a move to Asia or Mm. interested in starting to... Yeah, look, I think that... um, Yeah. My, my, uh, so when people ask me now, mm. you know, hey, should I go to China or do this? And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Right. Um, 20 years ago, yes. Yeah. So where do you go now? Vietnam, you know, mm. Indonesia. Um, you have mm. to go where what's behind the, the curve um, yeah. to find that. And it comes with all the same challenges that starting anything in these emerging markets are. Yeah. Um, I, I, look, I agree. I think, you know, what we can see in China is a massively entrepreneurial community that's being very well funded actually by some of the big local Chinese tech players. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking about doing, there are probably 20 or 30 other companies already thinking and working on it. Absolutely. And uh, and I think also that I think that I think um, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of opportunities in cross border plays that don't Mm. require, you know, the whole huge setup and the cost of being, in both or three different places um mm. but it's uh yeah as, as back to that other point like it's it's easy to start something but then like trying to fight for the market share is is where the challenge is i think yeah there there are some key markets that are very pro startups i mean even in singapore there's like big grants that are possible with yes. the right type yeah. of shareholders and all that kind of stuff and we've, um, we've taken advantage of some of that actually yeah. the singaporean government's incredibly supportive yeah. of startups and yeah. uh, and has a range of different grants that you can access yep. to buy technology or uh, access consulting services. Yep. I mean, if I did it all again, I'd, I'd probably go work in an accelerator or a VC fund for a year or two and mm-hmm. see all the different things mm. and then come up with something of yep. my own. Yep. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a cool way of doing things. Yep. It means you don't have to go corporate per se, but you're kind of getting a little bit of the corporate training yeah, on how right. it all kind of works. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And yep. the network and yep. seeing all the pitch decks and all that kind of stuff, give yep. you ideas. Um, but yeah, look, I think that uh, it's, it's a matter of uh, trying to validate some, some validation in what you're doing. Mm. It's, it's huge, huge conviction. Um, and I think it's trying to understand the cost base is, is just as important as, I mean, the cost base mm. is going to happen. Mm. The revenue is hopefully going to happen. So you know one thing's definite. 
yeah. and that's having to pay all the bills. Yeah. So that's um that's something that <laughs> is just as important. And I think that to me is, is more important than the revenue side in terms of percentage of importance because you need a lot longer than you think. So, yes. and that's going to yeah. cost. So the unfortunate part about the startup world is, you know, I, maybe 20% of the ideas are terrible, mm. but like a lot of the failures just couldn't survive mm. to get what they needed yeah. and the recognition and yeah. the time and however the millions of things so just to stay in the game long enough. To, yeah. yeah, It's yeah. a battle, it's a su- survival of the fittest. Yeah. Um, while you trial things and they don't work and you trial people and they yeah. don't work. So yeah. yeah, the cost base is like, can you can you afford to just stick it out? Mm. And that, that, that'll definitely... Mm. be one of the, the key drivers of who was successful, yeah, um, yeah. having enough resources to stay in the game. I agree. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I've definitely learned since starting this was uh, uh, that everything takes longer than you think. Yep, yep. yep. Mm. And, and if you push too hard on certain relationships, they break. Yes. So then yeah. you can't. And then you've got to act point. cool like everything's going great. Yeah. Otherwise, people don't really want to work with you. So you sort of have to play the long game. That is a really good point. Yeah, you've got to play yeah. the long game. Yeah. And um, and eventually, you know, and hopefully that kind of works out for most people. But yeah, yeah it's it's a, I think the best, someone else I spoke to the other day was like, yeah, you know, I, I look at startups when I do one as a seven to nine, seven to 10 year episode. So I'm only going to do three or four in my life if they work. That's but actually sometimes it takes like five to seven years to work out if it's going to work. And that's the unfortunate truth. I, I think you're right. I think it's that's a really truth. interesting yeah. point. I've never heard it put like that before, but yeah. certainly... You know, yeah, and yeah. Then for me, it's I think those num- those metrics are spot on. Mm. Like five to ten years per starter, you've only got a chance of doing a few. You've only got a few a few chances to do them. Yeah. But and you, and you might go five years into them before you realise that this isn't what you thought it was yeah. going to be and, it, and your exit is yeah. just going to do another thing versus actually getting your $50 million payout because... Mm. Very few people get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, then, you know, hopefully at least you've worked on something that you're passionate about, yep. you've enjoyed. You learnt lessons, take them yep. into the next thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. This whole ICO blockchain play for me is, is feels, as, mu- as, as crazy as it all is, it feels quite comfortable because the mm. comfort level is pretty, pretty good mm. because it's, it's sort of a replication of what happened for us in the crowdfunding space mm, and what happened right. sort of the internet's right. like there's a few parallels that we've been through now to say all right I think it's good yeah. and it's yeah. sort of a same same but different so if we can if we if we see and and same same but different in the industry as well yeah. even the macro things like you know the craziness the hype up then the mm. good companies coming up all those kind of things I think are um uh, are quite positive yeah. Great. So, yeah. Great. All right. Wonderful to. All right. Thanks for having me you, on the show, Julian. That was Good really times. interesting. And really excited about uh, everything that's happening with Investor Crowd and the ICO. So good luck with it all. Yeah. Thanks. Thank Appreciate you. it. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.